the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. So, uh, to Judas, who was, whose actions were going to precipitate his burial, uh, he replies, this ointment she's kept. She's anointed me ahead of time. <clears throat> Verse 9. When the great crowd of Judeans discovered that Jesus was there, they came to Bethany, not just because of Jesus, but to see Lazarus, the one he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to kill Lazarus as well. Because many of the Judeans were leaving their side on account of him, and were believing in Jesus. Because there's those two present continuances there, present participles. It was a process in Go. Look, they relied on the Judeans and the Jerusalemites to withstand and have some pushback from this Galilean phenomenon. But now the very people they relied on, the Judeans, the ones who were in the centre, the Jerusalemites even, they were in the process, they were leaving. It was going on. So they could see what was happening. They were losing support. Uh, amazing. Uh, that, so that was, and I, I mentioned that because later on, the job's done. The tense changes. It's happened. So verse 12. On the next day, the large crowd that had come up for the festival heard that Jesus had come to Jerusalem. So they were all coming from all, from all over the country, actually from all over the world. So we had some Gentiles there at the end of the chapter, and they'd come to Jerusalem for the feast, and the news was, Jesus had done this and this and this, and now he's raised this man for dead. So it was all a Twitter. The Twitter sphere would have been full of it. Hmm. Um... <coughs> And, okay, so the large crowd, they'd come up for the festival, they heard about Jesus, that he'd come to Jerusalem, and they took palm branches, and they went out to meet him. And I thought it might be fun just to to remind ourselves that the palm branches were emblematic of joy. Uh, Did we know that? They, yeah, they, they were used for joy. And so in some of the, the festivals, they waved palm branches. Where are we looking? So we could look at Revelation for our palm branch story. Oh, I didn't write it down. Yeah. So, well, okay, let's go to Leviticus 23, and then we'll get a revelation. So it's, it's just celebration, joy, exuberance. And we have that in Leviticus. Oh, hello, sister. And 40, when the Feast of the Tabernacles was instituted... And you shall take, Leviticus 23, 40, And you shall take on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days, and ye shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. Alright, uh, palm branches and joy, the triumphal entry. It was a great rejoicing. Uh, the king had come. And when we hear what they were saying, just have a look in Revelation 7 and we get the same thing. Uh, just the, uh, the appearance of the same plant, let's say. So Revelation 7 and 9. After this I beheld. So this is. Um, as John looks and sees the throne, after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations, and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne. Ah, the throne. 
all about the kingdom. We're going to talk a little bit um, about the kingdom. Stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. General jubilation and rejoicing. Now, Jesus had prevented this kind of manifestation previously. His mother had been keen to promote him and said, Go on, uh, they've run out of wine, do something. He said, well, My hour, what's, got, what's that got to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And if we look in. Sorry? They still do that. Yeah. Yep. And John 7. Whoops. I'm. You remember his brothers said, If you are who you say you are, if. Thanks, brothers. But these things are spiritually discerned, it's not the flesh. Um, After this, Jesus went, um, chapter, John 7, chapter, sorry, verse 1, Jesus went about in Galilee. He didn't want to go about in Judea because the Judeans were after his blood. Verse 2, the time came for the Jewish fest of tabernacles, so Jesus' brothers approached him. Leave this place, they said, and go to Judea. Then your disciples will see the works you're doing. They'll, you'll, you'll be proved for who you are. Nobody who wants to become well-known, does things in secret, if you're doing these things, if you're healing people and doing all these signs, show yourself to the world. Come on! Are you or aren't you? Are you the Messiah? Are you not? His brothers push him forward. And Jesus' response? You go up. And he went up secretly. Uh, Later. He'd when uh, at certain times he'd bless folk and heal them, he said, don't tell them that I'm the Christ. You remember all those conversations. But now, it was time. <laughs> now, at least once, he could be, it was, it was the end. His death was imminent. His work was done. Um, he wasn't precipitating a crisis. The crisis had arrived. So at least now, this once, he could receive the proper acclamation of the people even though they didn't really, they didn't understand fully what it meant he at least could be received as king as he entered Jerusalem so that's kind of where we're up to in verse in chapter 12 we could go back there um, so they they took the palm branches they'd already decided so we had the picture of all these pilgrims gathered in Jerusalem and they heard that Jesus was in the next village, Bethany, what was it? 45 minute walk? And they went and deliberately got hold of some palm branches. They already had, would you remember in chapter 16, they'd already tried, there'd been one episode in Galilee where they tried to kidnap him, hadn't they? They tried to see, take him by force um, to make him king. And he had to defuse that after the feeding of the 5,000. You, you remember that? The, and the, and, and the and John says they tried to take him by force to make him king. So they were going to carry him off to Jerusalem to do this. But it wasn't time. Uh, so they, there's already this uh, impetus to glorify the one that they wanted to receive as Messiah. With all their problematic view of who the Messiah is and what his mission was is why Jesus had skated round it because actually guys I'm not that kind of Messiah I'm just not what you think I am Messiah but you don't know what Messiah is but all that for now was uh, overlooked and he just let them acclaim him as king so uh, where are we in, in in verse in chapter 12 And they took, verse 13, palm branches and went out to meet him. Uh, Hosanna! 
they shouted welcome in the name of the Lord welcome to Israel's king and the crowds got thicker as they went on and with so many people clamouring now look we're not talking about a big road like this I suspect a little road to the village of Bethany uh, how is he going to get through? There's a practicalness I would suggest. I'm asking you to imagine that there's a practical necessity to get him out of the crowd. So instead of being mingled and mobbed and unable to make progress, he had to sit on a mat, get them up, and the momentum of the beast would take them through the crowd. Incidentally, it took me a long time to understand that, that was a whole, that's the whole point of cavalry. Apart from the um, rapid deployment that it's the mass of the beasts that they rely on uh, to get the job done as uh, in a cavalry action and hence the concept of the light cavalry and the heavy cavalry um, the light cavalry more for reconnaissance and the heavies for ploughing through there's no momentum mass and velocity of the big beasts heavy Jesus needed some momentum to get him through the crowd is what I'm saying um, and we have he found it didn't mean that he looked for it he procured like it's the same word as um, we hear Pythagoras using Archimedes Eureka same word I found it, it wasn't, he, didn't, he didn't go off looking under stones he'd been thinking about it Eureka so Jesus didn't just happened to incidentally, accidentally find the coat of a donkey he had procured it along the lines that we read in Luke so there's no contradiction there Um, oh, he just found the donkey now you guys you probably know, I, I had to remind myself, asses, donkeys mules, horses, what's the deal in the east Apparently, horses, well we knew this, are considered noble beasts for kings and warriors. Mules are considered noble beasts. I didn't know that. Um, so we had, we had Solomon being anointed and being carried on his father David's mule to Jerusalem as king when the other crowd were trying to undermine him, Adoniah. Remember, so he was carried on his father, King David's mule. Now, the mule is the offspring of a donkey stallion and a horse mare. Apparently, more unusually, harder to achieve, you can have the offspring of a horse stallion and a donkey mare. In which case, you don't get a mule, you get a hinny. This also I never knew. Hmm. But they're much more hard, much harder to achieve. The point is that a mule also was considered a noble animal. King Solomon, King David, the great King David, the warrior kings, owned mule. Fine. But a donkey? Uh, an ass? No way. That was an ignoble creature. So we cannot compare Solomon's entry on the noble mule underlining his authority and military might we cannot compare that with Jesus' entry on a lowly ass, pack animal just to mention that so and that becomes very relevant doesn't it, well it does it becomes very relevant because what I'd like us to do is spend a little time thinking about the nature of his kingdom I know we've alluded to this along the way but just to read a few scriptures to let it, to let our hearts be convinced and let it sink into our hearts and have our minds uh, made clear as to the nature of his kingdom uh, not the war steed not the riches the other end of the spectrum uh, and so let's just read a few of these I'm getting out of sequence which is a shame ok we've done that we might Psalm 118 where those verses are taken from we might just read them there uh, were 
they were known to be messianic verses. Psalm 118, the, the words that they used, they were used deliberately and with knowledge. They were sung at the Feast of the Tabernacles, they were sung by the Jews at the Passover, and 118, 25 and 26, it was known what they meant. We will be glad. This is the day of the Lord. Let's go back to verse 24. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We'll rejoice, palms, and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. And this is what they were singing. Um, This is the Messiah, sent of God. They were confessing it. There were about 6,000 messianic prophecies that the rabbis recognized. And this was one of them. It was used at their feasts and sung. So they were proclaiming him their divine, divinely supplied king. And we have the Pharisees saying, tell your disciples to stop this. And Jesus said, uh, remember in Luke we had that? We haven't got that included in our passage today. But Luke had the Pharisees tell your disciples to be quiet, to stop saying that. And Jesus said, no, if they were quiet, the very stones of the earth would cry out. Um, the whole of creation travelleth in pain, waiting for the manifestation of the Son of God, waiting for the manifestation of, first of all, the Son of God, and then you and me, his uh, followers, <laughs> the sons of God. Uh, and it would be helpful just to consider a little bit the nature of the kingdom. So, he there was a practical reason. There was that fulfilment of the prophecy. Let's, let's just have a look at that too. Um, but his kingdom isn't of this world. If we look at Zechariah 9, that will, can we have a quick look there? We are told, well, we'll get to it, that this is what was said. Oh, actually, we're reminded of this prophecy. Zechariah 9 and verse 9. But we're told in John, we'll go back to it in a second, that the disciples didn't remember it at the time. They didn't remember what they had done to him. Because they had a part. They got the they got the the donkey's coat. They spread their Oops, they spread their garments on it as a, uh, to cover it. They had done that, so they were part of it. Um, Jesus hadn't stopped them. But they didn't, re- they didn't remember it at the time, they remembered it afterwards. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just. And having salvation, lowly. Riding upon an ass, and upon the coat, the foal of an ass. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the nations. And his dominion shall be from sea to sea, and from the river, even to the ends of the earth, and so on. Uh, He's lowly, riding on an ass's colt. So he came antithetical to the kingdoms of this world. His kingdom, is a, uh, and Pilate said, what's going on? He said, if my kingdom were my kingdom, Jesus said to Pilate, and we better um, check it out. Chapter 18 of John, verse 36. I just want us to, to read a few different passages about the kingdom that you and I are drawn into and commanded to live in and be exponents of. This is the kingdom that's going to last forever. It's starting now, invisible, but we've got to be men and women of faith, um, enduring as seeing him who is invisible. You remember the faith chapter in Hebrews, chapter 11. 
they endured the people of faith as seeing him who is invisible and so that's got to be the mark of our lives that we're living with the clear vision of that which we can't see with the eye of the flesh Um, so here's an opportunity for you and me to let one another help one another see the things that we can't see with with the eye of the flesh so we have in chapter 18 when Jesus is being confronted by Pilate I'm not a Jew retorted Pilate verse 35 John 18 35 your own people the chief priests they've handed you over to me what have you done are you the king of the Jews we had in verse 34 verse 33 my kingdom isn't the sort that grows in this world it's an interesting translation my kingdom is not of this world you and I are perhaps more used to replied Jesus if my kingdom were from this world my supporters would have fought to stop me being handed over to the Judeans so then my kingdom is not the sort that comes from here uh, and of course this was the very thing that the messianic no, the very thing that the Jews with their ideas about the Messiah had become confused over they thought Messiah King of Israel big noise, mighty warrior David and Solomon rolled into one and made better the, the great uh, warrior and the one who with great wealth and glory uh, rolled into one and even greater that's our Messiah, we're going to be top number one and Jesus said it ain't like that uh, I wonder if you'd permit uh, just to look at a few verses because this king is lonely. well he was born with the animals he didn't have a he didn't have a cottage he didn't have a palace he was born with the animals and very soon after he was born he was a refugee running away from somebody who was trying to kill him we've got refugees now he came poor, lowly he, your king cometh to you lowly and so where, whereas there was a practical need for him to be mounted he, he made sure that it was in the humblest and lowliest way to so that people didn't get confused as to the nature of his kingdom and incidentally those words, they describe his entire ministry lowly, uh, humble poor so even if he hadn't actually done that even if he hadn't mounted the ass and um, fulfilled the prophecy literally it would still have been fulfilled by his entire ministry in the earth that he came exactly like that, even if he wasn't, even if it wasn't fulfilled in a literal sense. In other words, had Jesus not mounted that donkey at that time, the prophecy would have been fulfilled uh, in a figurative sense. It was exactly the spirit of his ministry for those two and a half to three years. So have a look quickly, please, with me, at Daniel. Yes. <clears throat> I don't know now. Because they don't expect the Messiah to come lowly. I don't know. How could they? I don't know what's in their mind. Um, Your eyes are close to it. Yeah. But at a certain point, the word says that their eyes will be there's some lovely stories about the Lord coming to faithful Jews through, I mean, in recent times too, and talking to them and saying, you get on board with the Messiah. And they've, uh, that would be, be a great book to read. It's called, the, the, it's by the, the Sittenhof family or the Sittenhof daughter. I've forgotten the name of it. But they were Jews, faithful Jews, before the war. Um, and the Lord talked to them in dreams and got them out. And they served the Lord all their lives. Very, very lovely and remarkable story of provision and faithfulness. Um, look up Sittenhof. Uh, I gave the book to Beth, actually. She enjoyed it. Uh, so, I don't know what's in their head. 
why their eyes are holden. I do know that I worked along. I worked for a year with Islamists, and amongst the deception, uh, there were folk who I felt loved the Lord. They, in in some, loved. They had a care for the things of God, and I can only hope that. Um, well, it's not our job to be the judge, is it? That uh, uh, and God's well able to uh, fan the smoking flax and to draw out that which is real and lead it on. That's His business. Ours is to proclaim the King. Uh, you know the, what happens to the folk who are in a muddle and in darkness. That's between them and the Lord. Uh, yeah, I don't know whether they still whether they still look for a, a great elevated Messiah. I don't know whether where rabbinical teaching has led them. So Daniel chapter two, and we'll just read a few verses because I think it will do our hearts good. Um, the prophecy. From, we might as well read from verse 37 of chapter 2 of Daniel. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power and strength and glory. Here we go, power, strength, glory. And everything about Jesus' appearance was antithetical to that. Lowly, uh, not glory. Not glorious in the world's eyes. Great riches. Not great military power. Um, Daniel was talking to Nebuchadnezzar. Was it him at this stage? Or was it the other chap? Yes. Okay. But God gave it to you. (laughs) He's got all the power. He's got all the glory. So you don't get too carried away, Nebuchadnezzar, or you or me or any of us, with our feelings of strength and our feelings of glory. The one who came lowly, beneath everyone, he's got all the glory. He's got all the strength. So let's not get carried away with our little bit of glory and our little bit of strength. Verse 38. Wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven, hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And you remember the statue. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, for as much as the iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. Uh, are you familiar with these verses and the, inter- and sort of the historical interpretation? We have Nebuchadnezzar, and then later on the Greeks, and then the, the iron and the clay are the Romans ruling the world. But God's given them. Uh, verse 43 Whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men but they shall not cleave one to another even as iron is not mixed with clay and we're told that they were that Daniel was foretelling the schism after season now in the days of these kings verse 44 shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed Okay, during these days. <laughs> and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Uh, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, he's come to do something that's not what we're used to, uh, not the external greatness and the military might the kingdom of heaven is within thee Uh, oh chapter 7 same book just a couple of verses 13 chapter 7 verse 13 I saw in the night visions and behold one like a son of man came with clouds of heaven 
and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So he is king. He is king of kings and lord of lords but in a kingdom that is utterly different from our distorted perceptions. We could go on to chapter 6. Well, we've, we've alluded to chapter 6 of our, of our book. Um, we could go to 1 Timothy, chapter 6. I think it's 1. We'll soon discover... And just because it's a little bit helpful here, Timothy being counseled by Paul in this letter, 1 Timothy 6, 11, but you, man of God, must run away from all this. Well, from what? The love of money, temptation, a trap, foolish and dangerous lusts which drown people in devastation, destruction, says verse 9. Some people have been so eager to get rich. Jesus came poor, lowly. Uh, so we need to be careful that um, we're not like this. And we might as well read some of this, these verses. But verse 6, chapter 6, verse 6. If it's gain you want, though there's plenty to be had in godliness, if it's combined with contentment. We brought nothing into this world, verse 7. And after that, after all, we certainly can't take anything out. If we have food and clothing, we should be satisfied with it. People who want to be rich, by contrast, fall into temptation and a trap. And into many foolish and dangerous lusts which drown people in devastation and destruction. The love of money, you see, is a root of all evil. Some people have been so eager to get rich that they've wandered away from the faith and have impaled themselves painfully in several ways. Uh, and that's a good reminder for us. I mean, that's the... I mean, essentially, you know, people, talk, people talk about the Australian dream. Well, I don't know how Australian it is, but basically to be able to say, I have all in a band. Take thy ease, soul. You know, the whole concept of retirement. Take thy ease, soul. You have much good laid up for many years. Take thy ease. Um, and you and I need to be careful that we don't, that while we are responsible to make provision, we don't fall into the trap of the world which says getting gain is what it's all about. Um, so Paul counsels Timothy, verse 11, but you, man of God, must run away from all this. Instead, chase after justice, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Hey, these are the riches that you can take with you, by the way. These are the riches that will accrete to your soul. Um, these are the glories of the king. His glories aren't external wealth, some baubly gold, etc., etc., etc. These are his glories. Um, Twelve. Fight the noble fight of the faith. Get a firm grasp on the life of the coming age. Oh, hang on a minute, how can we do that? That's the life of the coming age. We're not there yet. Oh, haven't we been listening? The, po- the whole point of uh, time, this period of time, is that we should live the life of God on earth. Live the life of the age to come here, today, now. And he says, get a firm grasp on it. Don't get confused. Don't go running off after all the stuff that the worldly folk are running off. Kings and riches and military power and all that. These are the riches 
you Paul, uh, Timothy you make sure that you get a firm grasp on the life ah you mean that life that's been infused into me by God yeah make sure you get a firm grasp on it in other words don't repress it don't um, what's the word don't quench the spirit get a firm grasp on it let it rise up and actually be the thing that forms your soul be the thing that guides your affection it's, it is the life of the age to come and anything in us that doesn't relate to that life we're burned up gold, silver, precious stones they'll survive the fire wood, hay, stubble they'll be lost but the soul will be saved with much loss so all that you've built what's going to survive the fire brother, sister it's a word for each of us to um, interrogate ourselves with before the Lord of all that I'm doing Lord all the things that I care about all the activities that I'm investing my time and my aspirations in what is what of it is of eternal worth what of it is gold, silver, precious stones and going to survive the fire of judgment and what is just wood hay, stubble, me doing my own thing it was worthless, I wasted my time on it Um, each of us must uh, by the grace of God uh, judge ourselves and so be folk that get a firm grasp on the life to come well actually Lord I'm living better now I'm living more for the life that's going to be the only currency in the world to come now that I was I've learned a bit I've learned to discern what my motivations are I've learned to understand a bit about what I've been doing Uh, so he says get a firm grasp on the life in a sense let it get a firm grasp a firmer grasp on you Um, Jesus kingdom life Jesus kingdom life we can become besotted with the kingdoms of this world and the values and standards of this world Uh, my position my possessions my importance here the riches Uh, justice chase after that godliness faith love patience fight the noble fight get a firm grasp on the life of the coming age the life you were called to when you made the noble public profession before many witnesses I give you this charge Timothy before God who gives life to all things this is verse 13 I give you this charge who gives life to all things and King Jesus who made the noble profession before Pontius Pilate be undefiled and blameless as you keep the commandment until the royal appearing of our Lord King Jesus which the blessed and only sovereign one the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords will reveal at its proper time he's the only one who possesses immortality he lives in unapproachable light King of Kings forever and ever he lives in unapproachable light no human being has ever seen him or can see him to him be eternal honour and power Amen so there's this huge encouragement get with the programme today and the king is riding into Jerusalem lowly on this colt of a donkey I it's very wonderful for us to let those words enter into our heart and feed us and impinge on us and help direct uh, our affections our activities, our hearts Uh, the Lord's merciful to us the things that once were so dear he allows us to leave and repent from and say Lord actually what really matters is that I please you here Uh, isn't that a wonderful thing? I give you this charge before God who gives life to all things and before King Jesus who made the noble profession before Pontius Pilate what is, what's my charge? 
be undefiled and blameless as you keep the commandment nothing very pragmatic about that oh I did it because it, if I didn't do these things and um, that business deal wouldn't work out or that career move wouldn't work out or, or these affairs not the issue you labour to be blameless before God and take the consequences hey, sometimes you'll be saved and sometimes you might be sworn in sunder there are, there are two ways that faith can hit you um, you can sometimes have a miraculous deliverance Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego what did they say? <laughs> they said our God is able to deliver us out of this fire but he's not, it's okay with me and so sometimes the, if you read Hebrews 11 there was a great deliverance and sometimes they just got sawn in sunder okay by me why? because actually the thing that's important to me isn't not being sawn in sunder although if I had a choice you know um, but because that's not the, you know, my purposes my self-preservation isn't the thing what is the thing is I give you this charge be blameless uh, undefiled as you keep the commandment keep going, until when? when? next week? no, keep going be not, and in another place Paul said be not weary in well doing just keep going, until the appearing of the king the lord, king Jesus he'll be revealed in his proper time do you see the relevance of um, that the Hebrew writer enduring as seeing him who's invisible we've got to keep going, got to keep enduring we can't see him, we see politicians who are disappointing um, playing games uh, I don't know what else we see we see all the things we see around with the natural eye but we need to be folk who discern with the inner eye him and live for his things uh, Jesus' kingdom, completely different. My kingdom's not of this world. Don't get hung up with um, military might and riches and external glory. I didn't. I didn't have any of that. I didn't. I'm not an exponent of any of that. I just came. I, I was born with the animals. I was a refugee. Uh, I came on a donkey. Poor. And then he switches from uh, he, he's, his advice, just kind of gets turned around to praise. Uh, he's the only one who possesses immortality. The king, the king of kings, is going to reveal him. He's the only one who possesses immortality. He lives in unapproachable light, guys. This is a reality that we need to cope with. Let's cope with it now. No human being has ever seen him or can see him. To him be eternal honor and power. Amen. Dear Paul, getting carried away with John in the Revelation. Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him and to the Lamb. Um, we need to get with the program. And yet there's going to come a day, without military might, where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that King Jesus. So I'm just using the word King for Christ because we're not very used to the meaning of what a Christ is. It's the anointed King, anointed priest. Uh, King Jesus. Every knee will bow and confess that Jesus, King, is Lord. Everyone's going to bow. They, they, they might not do it now, but they're going to do it one day. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Uh, and it falls to you and me. Our privilege is to live in the position now of having our knees bowed and our tongues confessing. Uh, as we said before that we receive the judgment against ourselves now and, and live for him instead so <clears throat> let's just read through our couple of verses and then we're done so just to say about Jesus' kingdom utterly, utterly not what we understand in a worldly sense 
So if we could just go back to John 12. The disciples didn't understand. Oh, well, well so chapter 12, verse 12, on the next day, the large crowd that had come up for the festival heard that Jesus had come to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him. Hosanna, they shouted, Welcome in the name of the Lord. Welcome to Israel's King. Pharisees, tell him to stop. I can't. The stones would cry out. Jesus found a little donkey. He procured it. It had been arranged. As the Bible says, Do not fear, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming now, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand this to begin with. They didn't. They couldn't see what was going on. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. The crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, that crowd... So there was, there was a mix. There were folk who'd been there earlier in the week, and there were folk who'd come from Jerusalem and who weren't there. That was just one house, you know, one household of one group. The guys that had been with him, <laughs> they really stirred it up. The crowd that was with him, verse 17, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, told their story. Did you know this Jesus, he, last two days ago, he raised Lazarus. And by that, he should have been stinking. By this time, he stinketh. He should have been stinking. And he raised him from the dead. What? This man? This? Yes! You can understand. The ones who weren't there were getting to hear in no uncertain terms. And so the uh, volume of adoration lifted. And that's why the crowd went, uh, they, they told their story, verse 18, that's why the crowd went out to meet him, because they'd heard that he had done this sign. The whole place was in uproar. The Pharisees conferred. Do you see? They said to each other, it's impossible. There's nothing you can do. Look, the world has gone off after him. That is the past tense. Before it was, it was happening. Now, after this, it was, it was all over. The world's gone. There's nothing we can do. They were reproaching each other with the ineffectiveness of the measures that they'd adopted. Too late. The world has gone off after him. You know, any wise, I mean, it's not really rational, they weren't rational, were they? It would have been rational to say, God is working through him. He's worked these mighty signs through him. We're supposed to be lovers of God. But of course it gave the lie to that, didn't it? That whole line of reasoning was undermined because when the thing that was uh, unequivocally divine came into their lives, they rejected it. And said, well, gonna, we're going to go for self-preservation, preservation of the status quo, our position as rulers of the people. We're going to kill Lazarus, we're going to kill Jesus. Get it over, and then we'll be fine. Hello? Uh, it wasn't rational, was it? But, that's where they were. But it was all over, they said. I just draw that to it, and, and so the, the whole point here is that the, the, the Lazarus event had precipitated the adulation and adoration of Jesus, his um, triumphal entry. It was precisely because of Lazarus. They were already, and it was the raising of the dead, the raising of Lazarus, that brought about, therefore, the execution of Jesus. It was all over. Uh, because that was a, it was a, an ignition point for the love and the adoration of the people. King of Israel! Oh, it's all over. Is that Lazarus man? And so the, the wonder, the most wonderful manifestation of the power of God working through Jesus, the most wonderful manifestation became the occasion of the most awful manifestation of the murderous wickedness of Satan. He's a murderer from the beginning said Jesus. The glory and the 
darkness, the contrast. And and we'll leave the Greeks for next time. <laughs> the world's gone after him. Uh, it's so wonderful that you and I are commanded to come into his kingdom and live in it and be exponents of it. Um, let our light so shine before men. That's our command. That's our, our mission. Just to be the king's people on the earth. Uh, Hmm. Shall we just pray for a moment? We can all pray. Open our hearts to the Lord. Uh, and as we learn to be ruled by Him, so the light shines and He chooses to draw others. Oh, Father. We worship you. Lord, we confess our hearts are open to you. We believe you. We receive your word that thou art the King of Kings and you've given the Son, O Father, to be King of Kings. Lord, we bow our knees this afternoon. With our mouths we confess that Jesus, the King, is Lord. Grant, Lord, that that confession should be backed up with all our thoughts with all our decisions, with all our interactions with one another, with our interactions in the world, that it should all, uh, it should all confess that Jesus is the King and we're his obedient servants. Lord, let the life of God be magnified in us. As Paul wrote to Timothy, that we should make sure we have a firm grasp of your life. Oh, Father, thank you. Amen.